it is coming on the end of the year. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, that means we're wrapping up the theme for this year. And in fact, today we'll largely wrap that up, especially tonight. We're going to spend some time with some applications thinking about this subject of sounding forth the word, this mission of outreach that the Lord has given to his people. And actually, next Sunday, one of our shepherds is going to introduce, a little bit ahead of the year, I think still, uh, our next year's theme. And we'll get into that. But another thing that our family tends to do this time of year, at the end of the year, is watch a few extra movies. We tend to, tend to, in fact, Adrian makes this calendar of everybody's draft picks, each family member, of what they want to watch on movie night. And we schedule it out and we, we kind of make a movie thing and, and have activities that go with the movie this time of year. And what you start to notice, if you pay attention, is every movie, every hero has a quest. They're seeking something. They're pursuing something. What are they after? I decided here recently that Anna and Asher were old enough to watch Lord of the Rings, to watch the first Lord of the Rings movie. And so Asher is so into this idea now. And in Lord of the Rings, Frodo has this quest to take this ring and destroy it at, at Mordor, to, to conquer evil. Uh, another movie that we watched recently, <laughs> very different kind of quest, where Elf has this quest where he leaves the North Pole, goes through the seven layers of the candy cane forest and the swirly-whirly gumdrop sea and comes to the Lincoln Tunnel. And then he goes to find his dad and he's trying to find his father. Sometimes the quest is misguided, right? Like the Grinch who wants to steal Christmas, ruin it for everybody, all the little Who's in Whoville. And then the best Christmas movie ever, in my opinion, we also see kind of, kind of a, a redirect on the quest, right? You think your quest is one thing and then you discover something else as Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life wants to do something big. He's going to go off on all these adventures and build these giant buildings. And then at the end, of course, not to spoil it, but he realizes life is about more than that. Life is about making a difference in people's lives, in, in, um, in your family, and finding the ability to live a good life, live a wonderful life. And that's different than what we sometimes expect it to be. I want to focus this morning on a story that is familiar to many of you about two seekers, two on, on different quests. They're searching for something. They're looking to accomplish something. And that story is in Acts chapter 8. And this tale of two seekers in Acts 8, 26 to 40, we sometimes call the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And what we want to notice is there's not just one person on a quest here. There is Philip who is looking for souls to save. He is on a mission. 
from God. In fact, the angel of the Lord tells him where to go and what to do. Then we also see this truth seeker, this Ethiopian eunuch who is studying his Bible, trying to figure out what does this mean? He's really maximizing his, his uh, transit time here as he heads back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia and reads the scroll of Isaiah, studying the passage that Matt just read to us around the Lord's table, Isaiah 53. And he's trying to understand, what does God want me to know? And as we look at these two seekers, we're going to learn a lot about what God wants the soul seeker to understand about their mission and what he wants the truth seeker, which we all should be also, to know about how to find the truth and what you'll experience when you do. The challenge of the soul seeker is you want to reach for other, you know, reach others for Christ, but maybe really the great difficulty is you can't make anybody do what is going to save them, right? You can't make anybody follow Christ. They have to be seeking. And then when you find, when you seek the seeker and find them, then you can show them and they can find what they're looking for and be found by the one who is pursuing them from heaven, right? And, and so sometimes it's not always clear how to get someone there where they need to be. And the truth seeker, you know you're missing something. There's, there's more. People are looking all over. They're looking in the wrong places often. Some of them are looking in the right place, but still haven't quite found it, like this Ethiopian eunuch who is an honest Bible student, a religious person reading the right book, but had not been saved. You know anybody like that? We want to go and find those people and show them what they're missing. And as we'll see here, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's not that complicated, right? It's not that complicated to show someone what they need to know and what they need to do, who they need to know, and how to follow, believe, and obey them. So there's three parts as I've broken this up, this story. I, broke, I called part one the matchmaker. And you can see in so many stories, maybe your own con conversion, certainly many times that I have baptized people, there, there's this thing that happens where um, at the beginning, the person who is seeking and the person who's seeking the truth and the person who is seeking the soul are brought together. And then part two is the Bible study. And that, that can take a lot of different forms. But there is an exchange of truth where the scriptures are pointed to and the story of the good news of Jesus is shared and how to follow Jesus is shared. And then there's part three, the baptism. And we see these three pieces here. Well, what are we talking about when we talk about the matchmaker? There in verse 26, we see, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. In other words, there's not a lot of people on this road. So he got up and he went. 
And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? So here we see the truth seeker in part one. He's a secretary of treasury for Candace. Candace is not a name. It is a designation. It's a title. Kind of think of like Herod. It's the title for the queen mother who has all kinds of administra administrative authority in Ethiopia. And so he is very high up. He's very important in this role. And he's working with this official. And yet he's traveling from worship, probably from celebrating one of the feasts in Jerusalem. And he's reading, <coughs> excuse me, a confusing passage in Isaiah. I mean, it makes so much sense when Matt reads it to us now. But if you don't understand the story of Jesus, then you're trying to ask the same questions that the eunuch is asking. Is he talking about himself? Is this, is this a king? Is this a prophet? Is this, who, who is he talking about? What is happening here as this person is sheep that's quiet while he's being sheared, who, as he goes to slaughter, doesn't put up a fuss, who, in fact, when he is slaughtered, is slaughtered on behalf of others, of our iniquity, because we've gone astray. What is happening here? Now, a eunuch couldn't be a full Jewish proselyte, couldn't be involved in the, the temple services proper. There are laws in, in the old law, Deuteronomy 23 talks about, where a eunuch can't enter and can't, can't participate. No, there is this limitation on him. You know, it's interesting. Three chapters after the passage that he's reading in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 56, God promises this time when the foreigner and the eunuch will have his blessing fully. And here, Luke, as he writes the story of Acts, captures this moment where it happened, where it began to happen with Philip bringing the gospel to this man who probably was a foreigner. I guess it's possible that he was a Jew who was in service over there in Ethiopia. More likely, it sounds like he is a, a foreigner who would not be able to be a full proselyte, but he would be what you would call a God-fearer, someone who worships the true God and tries to follow in many other ways, though not completely observant in the, in the covenant community. But now he's about to be part of this new covenant. And then you see Philip the soul-seeker, who is doing great work in Samaria before this. He's converting people. There's all these things that are happening in Samaria. And God says, I, I need you somewhere else. And he directs him with an angel to go out into the middle of nowhere and find this guy. And he does something that a Jewish man typically wouldn't do because, it would, because of the dignity that they would normally want to carry themselves. He runs up to the chariot. He's putting forth everything in what he is doing. 
Philip is an evangelist, which is a, a way of taking the, the word gospel, euangelion, and make it into something you would do, like a, like a gospelizer, right? A good newser. He's somebody who's bringing good news. And he's preaching, he's bringing great joy to Samaria. Now, back whenever Stephen uh, was, was killed, in Acts chapter 8, at the beginning of this chapter, all of the church scatters, and they go about preaching the word. It's a really interesting thing you see. The church scatters, and in verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They went about, which means they went where they were going. <laughs> you are going about. The question is, are you going about preaching the word? And that doesn't just mean getting into a pulpit and proclaiming through public speaking. They're going about, it just means to proclaim the gospel. They're going about proclaiming, it certainly often means that, but they're going about carrying the gospel with them, talking about it to everyone they come to. And so the gospel goes out, because when you're changed by the gospel, you carry it with you, and you talk to people about it. So he was preaching in Samaria, and great joy was there in Samaria as Philip went out with among those, all those people. And he was one of the seven who had been appointed. He had had the apostles' hands laid on him as he was chosen, as he was serving the Grecian widows. But then, then he sent on this mission. And I think it's noteworthy to see what God is doing here. Philip did not uh, happen upon the Ethiopian eunuch, right? I mean, it's, it's more clear here than it is in your conversion because an angel tells him to go there, right? You can see here as clearly as anything that God brought these two people together. God is not going to let somebody who is searching not find. That's a promise. We just sang the song. Seek and you will find. If you are honestly looking for the truth, you're going to find it. How are you going to find it? And it's interesting. God could have sent the angel to give the Ethiopian eunuch the gospel. But he didn't. He used an angel to tell Philip to do it. Why did he do that? Because it's Philip's job. And it's your job. And it's my job. It's the church's job. This is what God wants to partner with his people to bless the world in this way. There is no plan B. Jesus has decided to count on you and me to bring the gospel. Whenever someone is reading Isaiah the scroll and thinking, who is it? that he's talking about, God is looking for someone that he can tell to go. I'm not saying you're going to hear an angel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's already told you to go. He's looking for someone who will be obedient to him and who can carry the truth, right, to those who need it. Now, Philip was an evangelist. Not everybody's an evangelist, but we go about confessing Christ. And we go about with ready answers. And we go about caring about those who are around us, praying and trying to find the opportunity to speak the gospel. And maybe that means pointing them to an evangelist. 
Or maybe it means just opening the book and saying, do you know who you're reading about? And so this lesson for truth seekers is that if we trust God's promises that we'll seek, then we will find. We can count on that. We can know. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. James 4, 8. Oops. And the lesson for truth seekers is the same thing. Trust God's leadership in the soul winning business. We can count on him. We can count on the power of the gospel. If we but trust and obey, there's nothing to be, feel guilty about whenever you're not like converting the whole world. That's, that's not going to happen. Philip didn't convert the whole world. But whenever you come upon someone and you're able to find an answer to your prayers to find the lost and you speak faithfully, if they have an honest heart, they will receive the gospel. If we're just praying and seeking and obeying, we have done what, what is our mission, what is our purpose in this role. We can trust God to be at work in this process. And it doesn't, we don't know what it looks like. And I'm, I never try to put my finger on it. I say, perhaps this is why I moved to Hawaii, because that's when my life changed, when the gospel affected me. Perhaps this is, you know, why God brought me together with this other person. Perhaps. And we can trust that God is, as invest, is more invested in this process than we are. So a couple lessons. Good things happen when you study the Bible. Good things happen. It is a life-changing thing. We're working back there, doing Bible study out in the auditorium as well, but back in the back. We have a whole class on how to do Bible research. And it's easy to get lost in, okay, what's the right method and how do I do this right? But what we talked about is the goal, the win is learning what God wants you to know. That's all we're trying to do is figuring out what has God revealed? And that is a win because then you can apply it and you can trust it and you can live it. And so we do the work of searching the scriptures just like this eunuch was. He's riding along in this, it says, chariot the word really refers to like an ox cart or maybe a covered wagon and he has somebody else driving we can tell that because he orders the chariot to stop he doesn't stop it he orders it to stop also uh, he might be good at multitasking but it's hard to hold the scroll and read it and study it and read it out loud while you're directing a cart and so he is deep in the word reading it out loud as people would often do and if you've looked at an ancient manuscript you can see it takes real it's a lot harder to read than our our beautiful printed bibles and so he's working through this text in isaiah again it doesn't seem like a coincidence that maybe the most clear expression of the gospel in the old testament is the one that this eunuch was reading right He's reading Isaiah 53, the most beautiful passage, in my opinion, maybe in the whole Bible, just truly expresses this, this story, this truth, that one will die for us and yet be raised and live forever. Good things happen. And there's a lesson for the soul seeker as well, to notice the value of a soul. We ask this question in back when I was in business, 
constantly everything is the value question. Is, is there a good enough return on investment to do this? Is this worth it, right? Think of all the resources that God spent for this one person. I mean, not only does he send an angel, he has Philip leave this, this field where he's preaching to a bunch of people. He brings him over to speak to this one, one guy. There's an old... Uh, uh, we'll come back to that, to that, that illustration. But there, so, so think about how valuable a soul is to God. Think about this. You remember that story? I don't know if you've ever heard it. It was a chicken soup for the soul years ago where this guy is walking along a beach and he's picking up starfish. You ever heard that story? And, and you know, if they, leave, if they stay on the beach, they die. So you pick them up and you throw them into the water. And he goes and throws it out. And somebody says, why are you doing that? You can't possibly make a difference. There's hundreds of these things all over this shore. And he picks up another one and throws it out and says, made a difference to that one. Aren't you glad that someone made a difference to you? To teach you. In fact, probably a lot of someone's, if you're like me, spent time teaching you what you need to know to be close in your life to God, both now and in eternity. It's worth it. A soul is worth it. In the next part, we see the Bible study. And we see the, this truth seeker, the Ethiopian eunuch, reading here. And he says, hey, you that I don't even know, come on into my chariot. And he has an open Bible. And that's how we want to talk about the word, right? Let's open our Bibles together. And it didn't look like, like the book. looked like a scroll. But he's looking at it. And now you've got two people, not so much just interfacing with each other, but together interfacing with the scroll. Interfacing with God's word together. That's what we want to do. Not say, this is what Ryan says, but thus says the Lord. Here, let me point to you what God says about how to be saved. Let me point to you the story. And then... Besides his confession, the eunuch's only recorded words are questions. And we need to know the importance of questions. Asking questions is not wrong. It is right. Keep asking questions. Just direct your questions towards the right thing, towards learning of God, towards trying to understand truly what he means. He asks a bunch of questions here. And... And, of course, he's reading this beautiful passage, Isaiah 53. Then we notice in this Bible study the role of the soul seeker. What if Philip, like I have done before, tried to formulate the exact perfect word? Not that you're not trying to think of what's the best thing to say, but have you ever had paralysis through analysis? Like, i got to get this perfect because everything rides on me. But instead, it says, it's interesting, you could just say, and he said this, but it says, he opened his mouth and he said this. Like sometimes that's the hardest part, is opening your mouth to start speaking. Start telling what you know to be true. I don't know what they're going to, if, if they're going to understand it. I don't know if they're going to receive it. I don't know what's going to happen but I'm going to, I, I can't just stop at knowing it 
and believing it and trying to follow it myself. I need to be able to open my mouth. And it says he, from that scripture, taught to him Jesus. The focus of what we're trying to teach isn't, um, you know, a, a bunch of complicated questions that go back to um, something that was happening in Isaiah's, you know, in Isaiah's time. The focus of our teaching is Jesus. The focus of our teaching is, is not trying to convince them of a, you know, a moral decision right now. Uh, like a, 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 an issue, a complicated issue that we're going to create controversy over. The focus is Jesus. And when we teach them about Jesus, I'm saying that's the starting point. Then we teach them about everything else that the Bible has to say. The focus is the Lord Jesus. But when we teach Jesus, we're also teaching baptism. See, Teaching Jesus doesn't mean I'm just going to tell you some things about the person of Jesus. It means here's what Jesus said to do. Here's how to come to Jesus. Here's how to follow Jesus. And once they come to Jesus, then we continue to teach them all that Jesus began to do and to teach, right? To obey him. The teaching about Jesus includes learning that to follow Jesus means to die to myself, to be buried with him be baptized into his death and to raise anew, just as he did. And so some, some lessons here. The theme of part two is the gospel of Christ. And for truth seekers, the lesson is that the gospel changes everything when it's understood, believed, and obeyed. And the lesson for soul seekers is the gospel does the soul spins, the soul winning, if we open our mouths and share it. The gospel will, will do the work that it's supposed to do. Isaiah 55, the Lord says, my word will not return to me without accomplishing its purpose. It will do what it's meant to do. And so, truth seekers, ask your questions. Keep your Bible open. Keep searching. Soul seekers, Open your mouth and speak, keeping your focus on Christ. This is the illustration I was going to bring up earlier. I was thinking of this old commercial where Mercedes-Benz had this uh, video of the crash, the crash dummies going. And it's talked about this patent that Mercedes has on safety in crashes. And it said, why don't we enforce our patent? And the answer is, some things are too important not to share. Okay. Some things, you got to share them. You can't say, this is for me. Let them fend for themselves. We have to be going about ready in our hearts to share, looking for the doorway to share, praying for boldness to share, right? It's worth it. One soul is worth it. And the response here, as the gospel does its work, is Philip teaches him the truth, and the eunuch initiates baptism. 
as he's teaching. We don't hear what Philip says about baptism, but we know he taught him about baptism because when he understands, he believes, and he's ready to act. He says, hey, what's keeping me from being baptized? I love that. I love that question. What hinders me? Why shouldn't I be baptized? I, am I a candidate for that? I've had this happen to me before. Before I get to this, the point in the study where I'm like, okay, so now are you ready to commit your life to Christ and be baptized into him for the remission? I've got this whole speech planned, right? And here I, I've said everything they have to know, and they say, okay, so shouldn't I be baptized? Can I be baptized? And at that point, you know, Philip could have said, and this is one of those things that you're constantly balancing, is thinking about, when they ask that, thinking about, should I pull the reins back? Do I need to say, you don't know enough? Do I need to say, have you really counted the cost? And we have, a, we here. Uh, with the elders, we've prepared a list of questions, five questions that we ask before we baptize somebody. Because it's this important decision that you want people to be thinking through. But once they know what they need to know, they understand the decision that they're making. They don't have to know it all. You baptize them. And Philip is, is instructive to me as a soul seeker that... A chariot ride can tell someone what they need to know to become a Christian. Now, that doesn't tell them everything they need to know ever. But everything they need to know to be a Christian. Philip says he's ready, and the eunuch commands the chariot to stop. And then it says what they do. They go down into the water, which communicates... Uh, immersion, which communicates the kind of baptism that they're going to have. They go down into the water and are baptized right there on the side of the road. Well, what's the big deal? What's the urgency? Well, this is a message that we see over and over again in Scripture, that there is urgency because it's not, it's not that the water, you know, people have all these things to argue against baptism. It's not that the water has magic in it, no. It, it is... Not that you can, just by being wet, be saved. It's through faith. It's through your repentance. But baptism is the moment of salvation. Your faith and your desire for obedience leads you to be baptized, washing away your sins. That is, because of your faith, that act is more than getting wet. That act of obedience and repentance is the moment where the Bible says again and again, salvation happens. In Acts 22, verse 16, we read, And now why do you wait? Ananias tells Paul, Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In Acts 16, verse 33, the Philippian jailer, in the middle of the night, it says, in that same moment of, of the night, immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Of course, 1 Peter 3.21, as we talked about last week, says, and now, baptism now saves you. Not the washing of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so he's baptized into the Lord. And the theme of part three is the joy of salvation. Finding Christ is discovering the pearl of great price that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 13. It's this, this thing that once you find it, you want to sell everything to get it. It's that valuable. It's the thing you've been missing. It's everything to know the Lord and the joy of his salvation. And so the Ethiopian eunuch goes on his way rejoicing, it says. He goes on his way in celebration. And we have to remember, as we go about seeking souls, the joy of salvation. That that's what it's about. That is a driving factor. Carrying good news is a joyful act. It's good news. So if you've forgotten the joy of your salvation, it's hard to pass it on. Well, how do you refine it? Go back to the same place you found it in the first place. I don't want to oversimplify that. We've talked more before in depth about, about the joy of the Lord and, and why we rejoice in the Lord. But it's there. It's there once we, through faith, recognize what we have to look forward to in hope, what we have to be grateful for, what Jesus has done for us, and what we are doing now in partnership with God. There was a Christian in the third century who was preparing for his death, anticipating dying any moment. And he, he wrote to a friend, his name was um, Cyprian of Carthage. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They've found a joy, which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. I am one of them. We are the ones they're waiting for. <laughs> we are the ones. Not because, you know, we're greater. I don't mean that to give us a, a great sense of ego or something. But a sense of responsibility. A sense of ownership of our task. We are enough with the Lord. We can do it. Because Jesus has, has commissioned us to this work. So we go forth carrying this message, looking for a eunuch, looking for someone who is looking for the Lord. That's, that's it. We're looking for the one that's looking. And those that aren't looking, we do what we can to create appetite, you know, to say, ask the right questions. But, but that's ultimately going to be between them and the Lord. But when we find someone who is looking, we share with them what they are looking for. You probably have somewhere in your life someone who is sincere, whatever they look like. They might not be religious, but they are looking for something. 
And our job, whether we've stood in a, sat in a cubicle next to them at work for three years, or we grew up with them, or we just met them the other day, is to take the gospel to them and let the Lord do his work in the gospel.